Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Well, I could be excited about this. This is my segue. Excited about Mother's Day. Woo! <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to everybody who's a mom out there. Uh, and with that, I'm going to ask Green Kim to come up because we've got a little gift for the moms. And uh, would you come up here, Green Kim? And uh, this was on her heart. So I'm going to ask her just to share it, share this with you in her words. She worked really hard on this. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everybody. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms and uh, women in the church. Thank you. Yeah. If you are a woman, you are already a mother in many ways. You are not just a biological mom. You are a spiritual mom if you are praying for your nephews and nieces and your cousins and your brothers and your sisters. And the list is endless. You are a mom and we celebrate you today and honor you and we celebrate and honor you every day. Um, a mom's job has no clear job description. Um, Pedrina was telling me in the back how a mom is a, a cook, a doctor, um, a nurse, and she went on, and you know, it's true. She doesn't clock out or take a day off <laughs> or take the rest of the day off, you know, um, from her mother job. And her job has no tenure, no length of service from the day she conceived till the day she breathes her last breath. She is a mom, and she never quits at being a mom. And she is co-laboring with God in nurturing and helping the succeeding generation of mankind. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big hand of applause to all the moms to show our appreciation. Thank you. Just as Jesus did not want little children to be hindered, but to let them come to him, Jesus is calling mothers to come alongside with him and to labor with him together with him for the kingdom of God. He knows that our few minutes of quiet prayer time is in between feedings, when our children are taking naps, when, you know, those in-between times, in-between moments are the times we want to do other things, you know, but we are praying too. And he knows that your prayer life doesn't look like you closing the door of your inner house <laughs> and on your knees and praying for hours. You know, you are praying as you are pacing the floor, you know, doing school with your children and, you know, stirring the, the soup, you know, or as you are pacing the floor of Walmart, picking up groceries, you are praying. You are praying in your heart and you are fighting spiritual battles for your family members, your son that has addiction or your mother that needs healed. So you are a spiritual warrior and you are pray your prayer life is how it looks like that looks like. You know, I wrote this speech this morning, an hour before I came here, <laughs> came to church. As I was getting the kids ready for church, as I told them for the one hundredth time to brush their teeth, you know, and uh, as I combed their hair and I thought I will finish the rest of the speech in the car on my way to church, but we had to play VeggieTales all the way to church. <laughs> and so there's no quiet time, you know, there's no time where you can set aside and say, okay, I'm going to serve God during this set apart time. So that's how we serve God. 
He knows that you don't have the time to do exhaustive Bible study, you know, reading cross-references or opening commentaries. You know, you read like you're flying, you know. But as you're flying and reading, God's giving you revelations that if you told them to anybody, they would say, where did you get that from? Did you read so-and-so or what sources did you use? But all you did was you were reading as you were flying, but God's giving you revelations so deep. He knows that your ministry life does not look like you visiting hospitals every day or knocking on doors or volunteering your time. But your ministry time may maybe last for five minutes before the church starts or after the church is over or, you know, in the line at the checkout line in the grocery store or some stranger that you met in the park that you prayed with for anything about five minutes. That's your ministry life. You know that you are speaking in tongues and praying the Spirit as you are telling your children to be quiet, you know, in between your prayers. That's your Spirit-filled life right there. But Jesus, you know, He has plenty of grace for moms. I struggled a lot during middle school uh, years in, in school. And in my school, they had something called grace marks. You know, the pass mark was 30 and the full mark was 100. And if I got 25 or 27, my teacher would write 25 plus 5, 30. Or 27 plus 3, 30. And it would write on my report card, passed by grace or promoted by grace. That's what Jesus does for moms. He adds up to our deficits. And he counts our little ministries, our sporadic prayer lives here and there, our sporadic Bible reading times here and there. He counts them all and counts them passed by grace, promoted by grace. Because like the woman who gave a few cents as an offering, you are giving every few seconds and every few minutes of your life. And you are giving every ounce of your strength, every waking moment of your life to pray and to serve Him. Your offering of time, money, and service might seem small and insignificant when you compare it against what other people are doing. But Jesus will give you the grace marks and count you past because you gave your all. So don't be afraid to come to Jesus and partake in his ministry with the little that you have to offer. So this year I put together a prayer box and it has been on my heart. Sorry, BJ, I messed up your <laughs> notes. Uh, for all the women, Miss Mary will help me pass them out later whenever she wants to. This is what it looks like. This is a simple box I got from Hobby Lobby. And, you know, there are blank cards inside. And I have I just added a, a pin in there. And this is, I'll tell you a story about uh, why I did this. Last year, I got myself a prayer box. And it has blank cards. It was fancier than this, but I could not afford something fancy like that for everybody. Um, the... I, I would write my prayer points in the cards and put them in the box and pray for them. That was the reason why I got the card. But to be honest, I hardly opened that box. <laughs> I hardly read the cards. But 
Every time I see that box, I'm reminded of the prayer points and requests that I wrote in there, and I pray for them, for those prayer points, because our prayers are written on our hearts, right? On the pages of our heart. So the goal of this prayer box is not to change the way you pray. This is not to limit the way you pray. This is just, you know, um, a gesture or, you know, uh, to remind you to pray for those prayers that are pressing in your heart. So this is how the prayer box helps me, that I hope it helps you too. One, whenever I have needs that are so vital that I need God to answer those prayers that I cannot do without an unanswered prayer. Or when I have visions for my life and for my family and I want us, I want to see us get there in life. Or when I'm so broken and contrite for this one prayer request that just simply praying on the fly does not does not, you know, satisfy me, and then I have to write them down. And whenever I write those prayers down, I'm telling you, I have never written one prayer request without weeping bitterly because they are coming from a broken heart. And every prayer card that I have in those boxes are wet. You can't even read them, you know. So for me, my writing down my prayer is showing to God, telling God how important this is that I badly need him to answer those prayers for me. So this is me crying out to God. And secondly, I want to see those prayers answered. I am determined, you know, I will not give up until I see those prayers answered, until I see those things unturned, uh, turned around in my life, until our financial situations get turned around, until my sick family members get get healed. You know, I'm not going to leave it halfway. I'm going to make sure that those prayers are answered. Another reason why I do the prayer box is for this reason. At some point, it could be a month, six months, or a year, I want to open that box and go through the cards and say, this one got healed. This person does not need you know, the surgery anymore, or this person got his job, or this son got saved, this person's addiction got turned around. I want that box empty, like the empty grave. So that's the reason why I do a box. So please take home a box. It is a simple box, but pour your heart out to God for the things that are so important to you that you want to see changed. You know, a family is only as strong and secure as a mother's prayer. When a mother prays, her family is secure. Her marriage is strong and sweet. Her children walk straight paths, and her husband is prosperous in all that he does. When women pray, our society is righteous. Our church is effective. Our nation fears God and follows God. You may not be a mother, but you could be a teacher, a mentor, an aunt, a grandmother, a sister, a friend, but in every sense, you are a spiritual mother when you are taking upon those roles and responsibilities of praying for people around you and taking care of the little ones around you. So we may not have the time to stop everything and pray at all times. We have to cook three meals a day, right? And we have to figure out how to cook chicken in so many different ways. And we are doing all the small mundane things of life all the time, you know. But let us do pray in between the busyness of life. We may not be able to visit the sick and be there physically for people that need help. But we can pray. We have the most lethal and effective weapon, which is prayer. It is so powerful that it can 
bring down strongholds, break the power and influence of principalities and evil forces. We can take back our marriages, our children that are lost, our families, our church, our nations, and our world by praying from wherever we are at life, from our kitchen floor, our dining table, our bedrooms, in our garden, in our schoolroom. We can pray. We have the strongest weapon. So I hope and pray that this box blesses you. And um, we are women of prayer. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. One of the things that one of the things that I love about Jesus is he's so committed to the reality of our life. You know, you can you can make the mistake of thinking that he just walked the earth, you know, three inches above reality, never touched the ground, you know, always walked around with the heavenly glow. And and that happened. Mount of Transfiguration, really awesome stuff. But the majority of his life, he walked around normal people. Normal people pulling on him, the kids running up to him, the crowds pressing in on him. And he wasn't afraid of that. He wasn't like, y'all get away from me. I've got to go pray. <laughs> he was okay. And God is committed to our reality. And, you know, uh, it's one of those things. I would love just to have, you know, a week to go somewhere and escape to a cab. You hear preachers doing that all the time. You ever get to do that? I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> but you hear these stories about these pastors. You say, I've escaped and we went to a mountain. We had a sabbatical and we prayed for all this. I would love that, you know, but life hasn't really afforded me that. Uh, maybe it will now because y'all know I'm in a transition. But uh, I'm looking forward. <laughs> but but no, but the cool thing about God is just that he meets us right where we are. I found out that where, when I'm with my kids and taking care of my kids or cutting the grass or doing things I have to do, God is there in those things because he's committed to our reality. He's not saying, I'll get rid of those mundane things so you can find me. No, he'll, you can find him right in the middle of what you have to do every day. Isn't that good news? So I really appreciate that, and I appreciate Rin Kim putting the box together. Um, she does pray for our family. It does make a difference when she prays for our family. I've seen her prayers make a difference in other people's families that she's prayed for, people you would know, also people that she knows from back home and different people she met. Prayer makes a difference. And so I just I just want to appreciate all because I know if you're a mom, you're automatically a prayer. <laughs> you can't survive kids without praying. <laughs> it just makes you an automatic prayer. So we just want to show your appreciation to all the mothers. So uh, back in the back as you leave, please make sure you get a box. And also we've got some gift cards for Panera Bread for all the moms today. So please make sure as you leave, make sure you don't leave without one of those boxes and the gift card, okay? Because we love you. Let's show the moms how much we love them. All right. Amen. And praise the Lord. Well, I've got a few minutes left to preach here. Um, maybe maybe we'll try. Um, Rin, Rin Kim and I, uh, we went to... Uh, Made a quick trip uh, Friday night into Saturday to pick up uh, Teresa. Y'all know Teresa. Everybody, welcome Teresa. <laughs> her husband uh, is doing some work, and so so we went down there to snag her so she could stay stay with us. And uh, honestly, I didn't mean to leave so late Friday, <laughs> and didn't mean to not get there till so late. Didn't mean to get back till so late last night. It's it's been it's been really rushed, but you know. It's, that's what she was, when she was explaining, waking up in the morning and writing this and thought she could write it in the car. It's really interesting trying to 
type on the laptop when your wife's driving through the mountains, <laughs> passing everybody, <laughs> and think about anything that you want to say. But we had a great time. It was about this time yesterday we were, uh, my kids were in the Atlantic Ocean for the first time. <laughs> yeah, we had fun. Um, Benjamin was a little scared because, you know, we're kind of wading out there in the water and uh, Abigail's just having a blast and we're feeling the tides, you know, the, the waves on our legs and we look down, they're hitting my knees, but they're beating his chest. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, oh, may maybe we pushed him a little too far too fast. <laughs> but uh, we had a great, we had a great time with the family. It was just a little longer drive than we, we had anticipated. Teresa, how do you guys do it so fast? I know you don't have kids. That's why you don't have to stop every 10 minutes. <laughs> But um, anyway, I, I had something on my heart I wanted to um, to share with with you guys, and I think what I'm gonna go get I'm gonna get started on it. But I know it's Mother's Day, so I don't want to keep you too long. I know many of you probably have lunch plans and all of that on this special day. So what I'm gonna do? Let me introduce it, and we'll see how far I can get. But I want to talk about bearing fruit for the kingdom. Now, how many of you guys um, know somebody who's really, 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 really good at organizing things? Yeah. How many of you, you know, when, when you see people who are great, moms have got to be good organizers or they won't survive. You know, it's organization by necessity. But uh, when you see people who can just like put their hand right on the file or right on the thing and know exactly where it is, or, or if it's on the computer, they know exactly where the information is and you just ask and they can, they can get it right, right now. I love that. How many of you guys know people who think they're really good at organizing things? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Or how about the person who thinks they're really good at multitasking? Oh, don't worry. I'm a multitasker. And they're like, just, you know, kick on. Science is now proving you really can't multitask. You really can't. It really cuts your effect. In some jobs, you've got to be able to deal with many things going on at a time. So that's what they call multitasking. But boy, you're a lot better off getting that time to focus. But, you know, you're looking at uh, different uh, ways of organizing. You know, as a self-employed person, we've had to organize our business. And then we've had to go and do the work, you know. So your organization, then, you because you're the one doing the work, you have to make sure everything you do as far as organizing actually plays out in producing a product for your company. If you're a really big company, you have the luxury of having people, professional organizers. And sometimes it works really good. Sometimes the organization can become so big that all of your time and effort goes into maintaining the organization. Do you know what I'm saying? Bureaucracies become like that. All of a sudden, no, we can't do that. We've got to go through this and this and this checklist and get this. And, and you can't get product. At the end of the day, if you have a business, if you're producing something, what do you need? You need to get your product out the door. So organization, while it is absolutely necessary... It needs to all contribute to that bottom line. It needs to all contribute to the goal of the company. So we need to have mission statement or understanding of what our goals are so that we can check and make sure we're hitting it or not. But if all of our activity becomes how I'm going to organize and I never actually get to the point where I do the work, you know what I'm saying? I knew this, there's this person I used to do, um, I did an internship underneath her. Uh, she was an intern leader when I did an internship in ministry in New York City. And uh, afterwards, we stayed in touch, and I did a few projects with her and was on her team. 
And I remember one time I drove several hours to be with her and her team, and we were writing this manual, a handbook. Man, Michael was for outreach ministry, okay? It was along that line. So we were working on this. And, and I get there, and we're sitting down, we're, we're working on the manual, and you know what? She, she gets this organizational idea. And we all go to Office Depot, and we're looking for, you know, binders and highlighters. And I'm thinking, you know, I drove two hours to be here. It might have been good to go ahead and uh, maybe actually get the content of the book written right now. <laughs> we can deal with that other stuff later, right? But, you know, I, and I actually read a book about that later. It, it was uh, dealing with people who, who want to organize their company. And they said, don't mistake that activity, you know, that surrounds starting a project. Don't mistake that activity with actual production. Because there's a certain amount of activity when you start gearing up to do something and you're starting to organize and you feel like there's some momentum starting. And that's a great feeling. You need to capture that momentum and go with it. But don't make the mistake to think that you're actually getting anything done at that point. Because you've actually not gotten the first product out the door. You've not gotten the book written. You need to actually get some things moving as far as uh, production, right? Uh, the, the lean manufacturing thing that I, I get trade magazines for housing and cabinetry and construction. They talk about lean manufacturing. Everything that I do as a company needs to go into creating value in the final product. Otherwise, it gets cut out. And, you know, I see a, a church. As a church, we could be lean. We could know what we're about. We could know what God's called us to and be focused but we don't want to be so busy just organizing, organizing. I've been in meetings where, you know, churches have organized. And it's good. Again, you need it. But they've got these different, you know, flow charts and things that they've made for the ministries. And uh, um, you get to the point where it's like, okay, that's good. But somebody's got to go out here and knock on the door and invite the kid to come. Somebody's got to go out here on the street and invite somebody. Somebody's got to be there to welcome somebody. Somebody's got to know God enough to be able to pray and bring the presence of God on the scene. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of organizers. And so organization is absolutely necessary, but the church is way more than just an organization. Like Candy was saying when we, when we were starting, she welcomed his presence. She said, Lord, uh, be with us because we know if you're not with us, <laughs> we're just a meeting. But we're doing, we're doing kingdom, kingdom business. I want to tell you about this man who was a real estate investor. He, was, he bought some property in an agricultural area. He wanted a, a business to have a passive income stream. So I'm from Nebraska, and I know how, you know, I grew up in an agricultural area. You know, those guys, those farmers only get paid once a year. Harvest time. When you have a good harvest, you get a big paycheck. You have a bad harvest, you got a lean year ahead because you get paid once a year. So anyway, he sets up this um, agriculture business, and he decides to, um, to lease it out to some people who would actually do the work of the land. And since he's the owner, at harvest time, he would share the profits. But when harvest time came, the problem is the people who he leased the land to, they didn't do their end of the deal. In fact, they were resisting him, not giving him his share. He actually had to take legal action against them, have them evicted. After he got the legal action, they had to go in there and forcibly remove him. All was lost that year. The harvest was lost. It's nothing to share by the time they were done. But he didn't give up. He rebuilt. 
And the next year, he leased it out to a new group of people in hopes that they would actually work the land, increase the harvest, and then share in the profits. Now, if that sounds a lot like a parable that Jesus told, it was supposed to. Do you remember the landowner built a vineyard, built the wall, built a watchtower, leased it out to those who would work its fruit? When he came back and he sent his servant first to collect his portion of the fruit, and they beat him and kicked him out. Sent another servant, and they abused him, they killed him, they threw him outside. Finally, he sent his son. And they said, this is the heir. Come on, let's get rid of him. I don't know how they figured that. I don't know the logic behind that. But they said, let's get rid of him, and then we'll just keep all the inheritance for ourselves. So they drug him out of the vineyard, they killed him, and they left him for dead. And Jesus said, what's going to happen when the owner of that vineyard comes back? And the Pharisees answered, They're going to, he's going to come in there, he's going to remove those wicked people, and they will give it, give the vineyard to a people, a nation producing the fruit. Matthew 21, 43. You remember when, when um, Jesus was telling this story, the people were delighted, but the Pharisees were mad because they knew he was telling the stories about him. And Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, the Pharisees who just answered the question, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And my question for you, for me, for us as a group, are we producing the fruit? Are we really producing the fruit? He came looking for fruit. He found none. I'm taking it from you. I'm going to give it to a people producing the fruit. Are we serious about producing fruit of the kingdom? I'm speaking as individuals. I'm speaking as a church. Is the Emmanuel Assembly, are we doing what we know to do about producing fruit? I'm speaking as Christianized Americans, you know what I mean? As Americans in our culture, are we really, just because we say we're Christian and we're about family and traditional values, are we really producing fruit for the kingdom? Or are we just living a way of life that we're comfortable with? Because, you know, I can, I can defend all our conservative values biblically, I really can. But the truth is, if I step out of my world into another world and begin producing fruit for the kingdom, I probably won't be that comfortable. I'll be stepping into work that I'm not qualified to do. I can only do by the grace of God and by the power of God. I'll be stepping into another man's world where I don't live like them. They don't have a background like me. And they're going to constantly surprise me with things they come up with. (laughs) Am I ready to step into another world in order to produce fruit for the kingdom? The Pharisees were excellent organizers. They were excellent organizers. You know, they had the law, the Old Testament, right? But uh, then they had all this stuff they added to the law. Because, see, what happened with the Pharisees historically, you remember after the destruction of Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, well, when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem and they pulled them all away, they destroyed the temple and everything, they were exiled. They came back, rebuilt the temple. But during their Babylonian exile, when they were no longer in Jerusalem, they had to figure out what does God want us to do in this country when we cannot worship at the temple. 
So they had to redefine how they understood the Old Testament law, the scriptures, the Ten Commandments, all of that. They had to redefine and understand that in this new context for them. And that's when they began to develop all of these legalistic laws and things that they had in place when Jesus came. See, the, the Jewish Pharisaical, Pharisaical Christian, or Judaism that was in place in Israel when Jesus was there wasn't really exactly the same Judaism that existed, you know, under David with it, surrounded by the temple worship, you know, or Samuel in the, in, in the, the tabernacle, right? Where the presence of God was physically in a place. See, they had, to, they had to just try to understand the Old Testament in light of now meeting together in a synagogue. They weren't offering regular sacrifices. And so, so they became very legalistic on how to accomplish the law. And, uh, you know, they would even have rules about, you know, how far away you could walk from your house on Sabbath day before you violated the no work on Sabbath. You know what I mean? Everything was spelled out. We know from listening to Jesus, um, you know, they were against just walking through a field and taking some grain in your hand and eating it on, on the Sabbath day. That was a problem for them. It was against their rules. Healing somebody on the Sabbath day was against their rules. Okay? That would have never been the case under King David. He would have been happy for somebody to have been healed. But they had all these rules and all these legalism. And you know what they were doing? They were organizing the word of God, but they couldn't produce the fruit of the kingdom. They needed to be able to produce the fruit of the kingdom. When they would go pick mint for their garden, they would take tenth of it for tithe for the, for the temple. And then they would put the rest in there, you know, for a spice. They had it all worked out. And Jesus said to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tithe your mint and your little spices. You're counting off and you're tithing them. You're keeping all this legalism. But listen, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you have ought to have done without neglecting the others. He says, you're blind guides and you're swallowing a camel. See, they would strain a gnat out of their drink and not drink, not drink water with a gnat in it because a gnat was an unclean animal. Well, you know what else is an unclean animal? A camel. And he's saying, because you've neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness, you might as well just not swallow a gnat. You've, you've just swallowed a camel because you failed to produce fruit for the kingdom. You've not brought out what the intent of the law and the kingdom was all about, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I gotta tell you, the Pharisees believed in literal interpretation of scripture. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in supernatural they were sticklers for the law. I don't think there's probably another group today who has the danger of being closer to a Pharisee than us. We believe in the supernatural. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in all of this stuff, just like the Pharisees did. We believe in the literal interpretation of the law. We believe in the coming of, of the Messiah. Theirs was, you know, misplaced. But we believe in all these things. If it could happen to them, it can happen to us. So are we going to spend our time organizing rules for everybody to keep or are we going to be about the things of the kingdom? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. 
are we producing fruit for the kingdom? It's very important that we do produce fruit. Matthew uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What is the fruit of the kingdom? Repentance, lives reconciled to God, anything Jesus died to provide. Healing, salvation, rescue. When we rescue people out of the kingdom, Satan, and bring them into God, that's the fruit of the kingdom. That's what we need to be about. That's what we need to be about first. If we're not producing that, what happens to the, to the, the branch that bears no fruit? right? Gets cut off. You know, we act like, uh, oh, we're the people producing the fruit of the kingdom. Are we? The Jews didn't. But he says if they didn't hesitate to cut out the natural olive branches so that you could be grafted in, how, how you think you're safe, you could be cut off too and they can be grafted back in. So we've got, we've got, um, we've got a focus. We need to make sure our organization and our understanding is in line with the fruit of the kingdom. It's in line with rescuing people from kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. It's in line with healing, deliverance. It's not just to have a good organization. So, I don't think I'm going to get to go into it today. I'm going to save it for next week because I really wanted to develop it more anyway. And, and we're getting close to time to go eat. And I really wanted it to be happy. <laughs> this is heavy. I introduced the first part. Come back next week and we'll learn the, about the exciting. Okay, I'll have a good lunch. <laughs> no, but, but I'll give you, the, I'll give you the, the basic points and then I'll, I'll, preach, I'll preach it next week. Um, there are different ways that the Bible actually explains about how to be fruitful. Okay? First is make a tree good and its fruit will be good, okay? Make a tree good. Get connected to him, number one. Number two, um, you know, even if the tree is good and the seed is good, if you remember the parable of the sower, there are still things that can happen that will actually prevent a harvest from coming into full, purport, full harvest proportions, right? Bad, toxic soil, Soil that cannot provide the nutrients, right? Uh, a hard heart where the birds come and steal the word even before it takes root, right? Different things, the cares of this world, money, things that we allow to distract us can actually prevent us from producing fruit of the kingdom. That's why when we make decisions about life and where we're going, we're going to put our time, we do need to make sure that it's in line with the fruit of the kingdom, producing fruit for the kingdom. And then finally, and I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring these a little more clear, clearly next week, but finally, uh, see, there's, there's this attitude kind of going around in, in churches right now with a grace movement, and I love the grace of God. I've, I've always considered myself a grace people until people took grace like way farther than I ever imagined grace would go, you know, and we've, we ended up trying to describe it with words like, you know, greasy grace or counterfeit grace or whatever, something like that. Um, but the thing is this. You can take a seed and you can just drop it in the dirt and it'll grow 
you can go find a wild strawberry plant somewhere and there may be a small strawberry on there half ripe, right? But it's not really something that you're going to go pick and make strawberry shortcake out of, right? But if you take the strawberry seeds and you put them in a garden, you cultivate it, you work the land, you keep the bugs away, you give it the fertilizer it needs, you can have strawberries every... Okay, when I was a kid, we had strawberries every day. They were fermenting in the refrigerator. We didn't drink them, okay? But they were because we had so many that we just couldn't eat them fast enough because they were in harvest proportions, and uh, you can take a seed and without somebody to cultivate the soil and work the land, uh, that fruit will never reach the full potential. Okay. Growing that wild outside. Yeah. You know, if you even leave a fruit tree unkempt, you don't trim it, you don't prune it, you don't keep the bugs away. It'll produce some fruit every year. And so just by being connected to God, you'll produce some fruit. But what I want to bring this, I want to bring this point out. Christian character matters. Christian character matters because we've been given the seed, the incorruptible word of God, planted in our heart. It's growing, okay? But how I live my life, the things I give my attention to, the things I allow to grow in there alongside of it versus the things I cut out, that determines how much fruit I produce. Christian character matters. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, close with this. I was, Michael, you're right. Bible reading is in here somewhere. I was going to start with this passage from Second uh, Peter. I believe it's Second Peter. I was just going to start with it. I'm going to close with it. Second Peter, chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things. Somebody say all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. All things pertaining to life and godliness. That's heavy. All things. So anything that you need pertaining to life or to living a godly life, he has already provided to us. That's good news, isn't it? All things. You lack nothing to live a life of godliness in this earth because he's provided it for us. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So he's given us precious promises, very great promises, so that through them, through what? Through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Through his promises, you may actually become a partaker of his very nature. That's crazy, isn't it? I love it. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, lust for King, King James, for this very reason, make every effort. Wait, wait, wait. For this very reason. Now I'm doing something. Wait a minute. I thought it was grace. I thought it just had to be natural. I thought it just had to be spontaneous. Hi. He's given us everything we need for life. He's given me great, exceeding, precious promises. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. But because he did all this, what? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. With virtue, knowledge. And with knowledge, self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection 
with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You will never fall. There's several times in the Bible it talks about words like you will never fall. And they overcome all the flaming arrows of the wicked. Those are big promises. But it depends on me walking in this way. It depends on me adding these things and building these Christian characters, these Christian qualities into my life. 